60 through 71. And God's word says this. When many of his disciples heard it, this is what Jesus had taught, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered him, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Please be seated. Thank you, God, for the privilege of being in your house on this morning at this time with our Bibles open and ready to receive uh, in our hearts and in our minds and, and uh, as you give us your word. We pray for your Holy Spirit's help as it is preached and as it is received. In Jesus' name, amen. Something that's interesting these days, like when we were kids, kids, you just, there was a sports game on weekends, there were like three channels, turned on a baseball game and you watched the game and you turned it off and you went and got your business. These days, I guess with all of the gambling and all of the statistics and all of the apps, uh, sports watching, uh, even if you're not a sports better, but a sports watching has morphed into something um, interesting. Statistics that you just never, ever thought of or heard about. Uh, sometimes we would buy packs of baseball cards, my brother and I, and we'd get all the batters together, and, and there were like seven statistics on the back, and we would read them off, and, and, and if you had w a better player in, in four of the, of the statistics out of the three, you got the other person's card, and that could be, be rough. But it was just like batting average, home runs, runs batted in, doubles, stolen bases. That was about it. Now there's so much. And even during a game, whether that's college football or basketball, you can go to an app and you can hit a number and you can see the odds at that particular time of who's going to win that game. Uh, last night... <laughs> Iowa Hawkeyes. I don't know what it started out because I didn't look at it. But you would have thought, oh, halfway chance. And then as the game progressed, and by the time it hit 31 nothing, uh, you might have had a 1% chance. Uh, but there's a chance. 
So you're saying there's a chance. Yeah, I know you were ready for that line. Um, but uh, there's a chance. I was talking to, talking to one of our young Pirates fans this morning about a, the Pirates being down 9 to nothing yesterday and coming back and winning the game 13 to 12. Uh, in history, they were 0 and 892 in games where they trailed by 9. There's a chance. And what are the odds? And you think about, well, what are the odds? And we say that sometimes when a coincidence happens. What are the odds of this happening? I want to ask you this morning about the odds. What are the odds of someone being born into this world and becoming a Christian? What are the odds of conversion? There's a wide road. We know this as we, as we establish odds and we say, well, Jesus himself said there's a wide road that leads to destruction and there's a narrow path and a narrow little gate uh, that leads to life. So we factor that in with our odds of becoming a Christian or not. Um, we know that Jesus said it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. What are the odds for a rich man to get into heaven? Well, the same odds you can get a camel through the eye of a needle. And some of us like to say, well, Jesus was talking, oh, there was this place and this wall and this gate, and it was called the needle, and a camel would have to get through it and squeeze through, and and some camels could. And we're trying to say the odds are, that's not what Jesus was saying. (laughs) He said, camel, eye of a needle. Uh, easier for the camel to get through the eye of a needle than the rich man to get into heaven. What are the odds that you're sitting here as a Christian? What are the odds? What are the odds that someone like the Apostle Paul, a murderer of Christians, the one who the more he saw God and who God was, and he saw himself and he said, uh, first he said, I'm a, a sinner. Then he says, I'm a pretty bad sinner. Then finally, at the, in his later writing, he goes, I'm the chief of sinners. What are the odds that God's going to speak to him on that road and, uh, and, and send that blinding light, but a voice only Paul can hear and convert him on that road? What are the odds of that? One in what? What are the odds that someone like Caiaphas, the high priest, who represented God uh, uh, to all of the people, what are the odds that that religious, righteous, upright, good-standing man would not receive Jesus, but would condemn him to death. Thinking about odds, and Jesus tells us the odds. And if you listen and you think about that, and you think about where your salvation came from, like if I have a, somebody that I love and I, I, I'm worried for them because I know for a fact that they are not Christians, they've denied Christ, uh, can I find a book of statistics somewhere that says, if I just share the gospel with them uh, 61 times, assuming that somebody else is sharing the gospel with them there, uh, the percentages say they're going to finally listen and receive Christ. What are the odds of a person coming to Christ? What's the factor? And Jesus talks about that because it's a context of people 
who had flocked to him, who were now leaving him in anger or disgust or bewilderment or maybe boredom. I put that quotation in our worship folder. I'm not going to dig it up now, but it said something to the effect of, it's not the things that the people couldn't understand that drove them away. It's when they started to understand uh, what Jesus was saying that made them leave. Well, I just, you know, there's so many words. We've got two Christianese. Let's Christianese. We can't have Christianese. No Christianese. Uh, well, what do you mean by that? Uh, some words are technical words. How can you non-Christianese the word propitiation, for example? No, you use that word and you explain that word and you get into the Bible and you talk about what the Bible says. People that uh, from the world that want to take their shots at Christians for some stand we have that is politically unpopular because it's a moral issue that is, is, is surging. And they say, well, let's just make jokes about uh, the Pentateuch. Let's, let's mock Leviticus for a while and, and make these Christians. And you say, well, I want to have a discussion with you about Levitical laws. Let's take the time. Well, nobody has the time for that to sit and think and, and go through and see the legitimacy of, of the position that Christians have. It's a soundbite culture. And people leave and they want to leave. People are dedicated. Uh, people who have left the faith, so to speak, and we're going to talk about that phrase in a little bit. They are not just content to go themselves. Uh, they want to drag other people away with them. Why is that, I wonder? But listen, Jesus addressed these things. We've got three, three points of this as we think about the odds of somebody coming to Christ and we think about the odds of people not coming to Christ. We think about people coming and leaving. So here's our three points this morning. One, uh, without the work of the Holy Spirit, people will misunderstand the truth of the gospel. That's going to be in, in John 6, verses 60 through 62. The second point this morning, with the work of the Holy Spirit, people can declare the truth of the gospel. And that's verses 63, 65, 67 through 69. And finally, we get to the people who deny and leave. And that is people who deny the gospel after being exposed to it are further proof that our salvation is of the Holy Spirit. Verses, if you're writing this down, when we get to it, we'll, we'll, we'll do it again. 64, 66, and then the last two, 70 and 71. First of all, what we're talking about right now is without the work of the Holy Spirit, people will misunderstand the truth of the gospel. people who had been friendly to Jesus up until now said, we don't understand these words about Jesus being the bread of life that has come down from heaven. Prior to this encounter, it had been the Jewish religious leaders who had disputed with Jesus over these words. Well, they had a stake in it. They had uh, control over the people. They were like a government. They were the government of that day. They had control over who gave what? Bring your tithes. We're going to spend it. We're in cahoots with the Roman uh, secular government. They let us 
rule as long as we can keep you under our thumb. And they had a government, a reason to keep Jesus down. And they fought with Jesus. But the ones now that we're looking at this morning, they were the disciples. They were the followers. They were the ones that had been listening to Jesus. This is the rank and the file. And they also, some of them, could not get it. They just couldn't see it. He said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? They weren't indifferent, but they were grumbling about this. And Jesus reminds us of what we all are like in our natural condition. In our natural condition, we are proud. In our natural condition, we are worldly. In our natural condition, we naturally disbelieve the Scripture. In our natural condition, we love our sins. We wouldn't admit that to each other. But the way we return to them, we love our sins like a dog loves its vomit. We love to indulge ourselves. And sometimes our only defense then when we're confronted with the word of God is to say, oh, these are hard sayings. We don't understand. We don't get it. No, uh, it's pretty simple, uh, really, but we don't want to get it. Our orientation is to not believe. Ever since Adam and Eve disbelieved in the garden, has God said, well, he said this, but not that. And that disbelieving nature of God, that resistance to God, that rebellion, uh, is just handed down. Uh, we just, you come by it natural. Somebody said about somebody, I actually knew somebody who I, who I could say this with unequivocally. He's a natural born liar. <laughs> this guy didn't even have to lie. There's no reason to lie. Uh, he can't help him. He just lies. Uh, he just lies. He, he, he just, he's a liar. Natural born liar. But you know what? Look at us natural born. Liars. Thieves. Adulterers in our minds, if not in our actual practice. Um, haters of people. Think about that. That's our nature. We're born this way. And Jesus said, I am the bread. That's what he's been saying. We've, we've taken three weeks. He said it in a dialogue. He's been saying, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the bread in the wilderness, the manna, they died. You eat me. I am life. I am the source. You want real life, spiritual life, the only life that matters? Follow me. And they took offense at this. He says, you're taking offense at this? Verse 61. Uh, do you take offense at this? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? What if you see me? Uh, some people actually did see the resurrected Jesus, and they also didn't believe. Matthew 28, 16 through 18. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Uh, there's a disbelief that's just uh, what we are born with. 
What are the odds? Sorry for this keep ringing. I, I, I got to figure out how. <laughs> My daughter's giving updates from the Spanish trail. She's six hours ahead. Um, so that's if you hear the beep, 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 that's what it is. At least it's not a Manchester United score. That pops in sometimes too, but they played yesterday. So that won't interrupt. Um, but if you're hearing that, that's what it is. And hopefully she's done uh, writing right now. Um, listen to this. What are the odds? Hebrews 11.6. What does it say about believing in Jesus and pleasing God and the odds of coming to Christ? It says this, Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You cannot be right with God. You cannot be saved unless, you cannot be saved unless and until the Holy Spirit does the work in you. The Bible uses language. You are blind spiritually. Uh, uh, the, the kicker that it uses all the time is you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Earlier this week, a 14-foot alligator was found where little children used to walk to school and see the little four- and five-footers. 14-foot alligator. Florida man found a Florida, a Florida alligator of 14 feet, and, and, and there was another Florida man out of the mouth of that alligator. <laughs> Half of a man. Haven't identified who it was yet. That man was dead. Is that man going to come to life? Even if they find the other half? Even if they identify him and, 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 and get to the chromosomes and the DNA and, and can tell what color his eyes were after they figure out the size of his shoes? No, dead is dead. When you're dead, you don't come back. And the Bible says, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Some are more easily identifiable as dead. But a dead person is a dead person. What are the odds of a dead person coming back to life? What odds would you give? Let's call up the great IBM with their little Watson guy or whatever that does all these odds and ask them what the odds are. Well, we don't need to buy into that. We can say zero. Zero percent. Humanly speaking, Colossians 2.13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And so the answer is the odds are 0% unless there is divine intervention. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, people will not be saved and they won't understand even basic sentences, basic things. It just doesn't compute. And Jesus said, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Then we move to our second point. With the work of the Holy Spirit, people can, and I said declare the truth of the gospel because we're putting Peter's declaration in, but they can declare it because they can 
be saved. What does it mean when Jesus said the spirit gives life, the flesh is no help at all? Uh, Other translations that you might have in your lap or on your phone. Uh, The flesh profits nothing. The flesh is of no avail. I'm going to get to church and I'm going to partake of the Lord's table every week for five straight years. I'll be that good with my body and I'll do that. And I'll even take notes. I'll even uh, do this. I'll do that. Um, Is that going to aid in your salvation? Is that going to be what saves you? No, you can't save yourself by a religious act. Knew a woman one time, daughter was coming to our church down there in Florida. Went and visited her on an evangelism explosion visit. Asked the two diagnostic questions. Here's the two diagnostic questions. Do you think if you were if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And they go, yes or no. Um, And then the second question to diagnose, to to find out kind of what they're thinking spiritually. If you were to die today and God said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And this dear lady said, I would say this. If you do one totally selfless act in your life, you will go to heaven. You'll be like Christ who did a selfless act on the cross. You do one selfless act in your life and you will be saved. And I wish I had, I, I don't think I, I don't remember. I wish I remembered if I asked. I don't think I even asked, what was your selfless act? That would have been interesting. And I wish I could go back in time and ask that. Um, no, no. The flesh, Jesus said, avails nothing. And we work so hard, uh, some of us, uh, to try to be good. Well, that's good. Be good. Be good people. But if you think that's going to save your soul, you think you can do a act like that, what you're doing is you're walking up to Jesus who died on the cross to take your sins in his body on the tree, and in effect, you're, you're, you're spitting in his face and saying, I'll do it myself. I disrespect what you're doing. I disrespect you and your work. Jesus said the flesh is no help at all. It's the spirit who gives the life. In our natural state, we like to think we can save ourselves. And I know you're saying, I'm thinking of this Bible verse. What about the Bible verse that says God helps those who help themselves? Everybody says, what about that Bible verse? You go, no, that was Ben Franklin in Poor Richard's Almanac. And somebody goes, no, it really wasn't. It was. It goes predates him. He quoted it in the almanac. Uh, that, that goes back to the days of the early Greeks and Aesop's fables. But you're right when you say that's not in the Bible. The Bible does not say God helps those who help themselves. The flesh is no help at all. And your good works are an offense to God if they were offered up as a substitute for the only true good work done by Jesus in his life and in his death. So get out of the works mindset as regards your salvation.
as regards justification. Church membership does not save. Faith in Jesus, which comes only when repentance has occurred, otherwise there's no need for faith in Jesus. So repentance and faith in Jesus is what saves. So we've got to get out of this doing mindset. And Jesus says the cause. What's the cause? The Holy Spirit. Verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The old uh, theologians talked about, and we hear this word sometimes. Used to hear it in the 90s because of those Sigourney Weaver movies. Uh, And that's what I would think of. Now I think of uh, a different uh, thing in our culture. But they talked about alien righteousness something outside of ourselves, something that is not in us and something that comes from the outside of us, alien righteousness, and then it enters into us. And listen, when the Spirit gives life, people don't sit around and say, Ah, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? A Christian can say, boy, I'm struggling with this one, but they can look. And in a principle of biblical interpretation, you find out what's simple and what's easy to understand. Then you interpret the harder to understand phrases in light of that. Uh, That's how it works as a Christian. We understand and people can get it then. And not only that, then they can communicate it. What would you think of a pastor, an ordained pastor, and somebody said to him, uh, went into his office and said, if I were to ask you how I might become a Christian, would you know what to tell me? This was an evangelical, a gospel denomination. He says, well, I know what it took for me to get saved, but I don't know if I could explain it. (laughs) I'm like, that's a pastor. Doesn't mean he's not a Christian, because a lot of us Christians are learning. We're putting it together. We've repented. We put our faith in Christ. I'm not saying he's not a Christian, but I I would say he shouldn't have been a pastor. That's the answer. As we live the faith, as we think about this life-changing thing, the radical thing in our life, the one thing that is altering, the thing that's talked about, in Scripture is passing from death unto life. Uh, I tell you, it, it, it comes. We, we get to the point where we can even articulate it. And God gives us words to say. And we listen in and we go, okay, that's, yeah, that makes, yeah, that, that's it. That's what happened. I realized that I was not right with God, that my sins were keeping me from God. I, I said the same thing as God about my sins. I repented of them. I, I knew what they were and I saw I saw what they were doing to me and, and others as, as I did that. And I put my faith in Jesus and Jesus' perfect life where he says he learned obedience, his, 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 his obedient life, tempted like we are yet without sin, and then him going to the cross as our substitute. And I can say that. I can say it's Jesus on the cross as my substitute. And then we even grow from there as we process it and we, we live and we think and we hear sermons and we read our Bibles. 
Look at Peter's words in verses 67 through 69. He had not been a Christian and a follower of Christ that long. But Jesus looked at his disciples and he goes, Hey, are you going to leave too? One of the guys I read said, uh, Think about the radical statement this was in that day and age, where Peter uh, said to him, verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. They weren't saying that a whole lot in that day. Not many people yet. And Jesus said, wow, that's good. Matthew 16, 15 through 17. Perhaps the same incident, wording a little different, maybe the same era, but Jesus said, uh, as recorded in Matthew, also God's word, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. The Holy Spirit saves. The Holy Spirit sets his mind on saving uh, 100% that's going to happen. And 100% what's going to happen along with that is we are going to testify to Christ. We're going to grow in our knowledge. He's not going to save people and have them not even realize they are and leave them where they are. We grow. We articulate and we listen and we are able then to share. And that's the Spirit helping us do that as well. Last point, and then there will be some application. Last point is this. People who deny the gospel after being exposed to it are further proof that our salvation is of the Holy Spirit. You might think it's the other way. Pastor, (laughs) Paul and I heard about this one. Pastor gets up, he preaches God's word. He preaches textually. He preaches the right things. They have a retirement party for him. And the next day, surprise, surprise, he goes in and files divorce against his wife. He's, he's done with the pulpit now. He doesn't have to be an example. And he's walking away. And you go, that's proof that all of this is just a farce led by farcical people. And I go, no, that's not it. That's proof that people can be so wrong and sinful and wicked that they can take the truth and they can look like they're saved and they're not. That's what that's proof of. Don't be surprised when people fall away. 1 John 2.19, John's writing this. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. This doesn't mean that when God saves someone that He's not able to keep them. He's God. It just means that sometimes in cultures and people find ways to work their way in and they're not really believers. This is why it's good every now and then to do what scriptures tell us to do where it says examine yourselves to see if you be in the faith. Not a bad idea. 
biblical idea. It does take some strong self-will to stay in Christian circles when one is not a believer, at least maybe in an overriding religious biblical-type culture that we had that we're coming out of. Now it's a little harder uh, to even want to stay in uh, when Christians aren't looked at uh, as the movers and shakers and all of that, that as, as they used to be in our culture. But not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. Here's a J.C. Ryle quotation on this passage. He said this, All is not gold that glitters. All blossoms do not come to fruit. All are not Israel who are called Israel. Men may have feelings, desires, convictions, resolutions, hopes, joys, sorrows in religion, and yet never have the grace of God. They may run well for a season and bid fair to reach heaven and yet break down entirely after a time, go back to the world, and end like Demas, Judas Iscariot, and Lot's wife. And Jesus is looking at these people. In this text, this incident we're talking about now, he's looking at them. And what does he say in these verses? Now Jesus said, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? And John says he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Think of the advantages that Judas Iscariot had. He was a chosen disciple. Uh, Jesus picked those who he himself wanted. He was a constant companion of Christ. Where Jesus laid his head, the twelve laid their head. Judas was one of them. He was in church every time the doors were open, you could say. He was a witness of Jesus' miracles. You say, if I just saw Jesus raising the little girl from the dead or, or, or uh, dishing out that food to the 5,000, how could I not believe uh, like Peter did? But Judas didn't. He saw all of that. He was a hearer of Jesus' sermons. We get a few of them in Scripture. We get the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain. We get some parables that he told and snatches. Every one that Jesus told, we can assume Judas was there, except for when he was commissioned with the 70 to go out and preach the gospel himself. He was a friend of Peter, James, and John. And he was not a Christian. And he was a betrayer of Christ. And Jesus said better for him if he'd never been born. So when some pastor falls and denies the faith, some TV preacher is trying to get some money and he shifts around to a different place and, and then all of a sudden you hear about something that, uh, and he says, well, I, don't, I never believed that anyway. Don't let that make you not believe it. Just say, I plug this into this category. There are people like the Judases in the world. 
and that has nothing to do with my relationship with Jesus Christ who saved me. The Holy Spirit is involved. The person then is truly a Christian and there will not be a falling away. Application. Pretty simple. Ask for humility, the necessary humility to come to Christ. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Don't say, I'll get that door myself. I'm I'm liberated. I'll, I'll save myself. I'll open the door to heaven myself. I'll work my way up from my bootstraps and I'll figure out a way. Because I believe God grades on a curve, then that's what God does. Because I think he should do it the way I should do it. Don't say that. Humble yourself. Say, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned. Jesus, save me. I want to be right with God. And your word says the only way I can be right with God is through Jesus. People can't just confess their sins. Own it. It's you. Your son doesn't have to pay for your sins. He's affected by them. You don't have to pay for his. Read Ezekiel 18. You, yourself. Pray for humility. Don't blame shift. Pray for God's grace. Another application is don't be proud of what you consider to be your religious and spiritual achievements. The Bible's clear in Ephesians 2 it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Next application be sad but not alarmed when people who seemed like Christians turn out to not be Christians. It doesn't make Christ suspect. It just shows their true colors. Think about you, your need, your relationship with God. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it shall be given to you. Ask God to save you. Ask God to forgive you through Jesus for what you've done. And take your comfort in verses and passages like this. Uh, Every translation where it comes, I I think I'm going to quote you the Old King James because that's kind of what I learned on. Um, uh, ESV and NIV will say uh, the same thing, but maybe with different words. But in Hebrews where it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and what? The finisher of our faith. He's the author. He's the finisher. Uh, odds are when God wants to save you, you're saved 100%. And the odds are then if God's the one doing the saving, God's the one doing the keeping. He started the book and he edited the book and he wrote it and he put the period and he wrote the end and he closed the book of your life. He's the one that is the author and finisher of your faith. And if somebody else stumbles and falls and goes away and and betrays, 
That's not Jesus that did that. That just says something about them. Not in the notes, but uh, I, I heard, heard this illustration a long time ago. Uh, it was at a museum. And the museum curator was there. It was a slow day, and a couple people were sitting there on the bench looking at pictures, famous pictures that other people had paid millions for, that, that art thieves would love to steal, that uh, people had referenced. And they sat on that bench, and they criticized those paintings. And the curator's listening to them. And they're mocking them, and they're criticizing them. And finally, he had to come in, and he said, listen, guys, I hear what you're saying about the paintings, but you know what you're really doing? You're really not talking about those paintings. You're talking about you. You're showing us you. Because those paintings are, are, are one thing, and you're the, the, the judge mocking them. Someone leaves the faith. Someone grows up in the church and then pokes holes in it and does that. That's a problem with the person, not with the Jesus that they are mocking. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Three verses about the end for us, about God finishing what he started. Matthew 10, and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew 24, 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Mark 13, 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Sure as though there are those who make a false temporary profession and then fade away, there are those who remain faithful and true no matter what. The difference, the difference is that the Holy Spirit who began a good work in them will be faithful to complete it. And it's on God. Your salvation is on God from start to finish. And you get to enjoy living for God in the in-between times because he's got that part of it under control as well. And he's looking at you and he's saying, are you guys going to leave too? Times get rough for Christians these days. You're going to leave too? You know what you're going to say? Now you're going to say what Peter said because he saved you and he gave you these words. You're going to say, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this portion of your word, this teaching portion. Thank you for this gospel teaching and then some, uh, some incidents that we can look at, then some more teaching and explanation. We thank you for all of it because it all points to Jesus as the Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And for those who are Christians here, we thank you for salvation. For those who are pretenders, if there are any, Maybe none. But if there are, Lord, we pray that, that your spirit would do that opening work uh, of their eyes and bringing them back to spiritual life so the motions that we're going through religiously won't just be that, but they'll be true acts of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.